Rachel Payne and it's Peterson. Tada! And we have a special guest today, Sarah Monse Weiss. I said it correctly. <laughs> I'm amazing for the moment. Okay, so you've been teaching yoga since 2008 mm-hmm. in New York City, mm-hmm. and you were in Texas, London, and I guess now you're here in California. Yes. For the next three days. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> awesome. I get around, you know, yeah. and check out the world. That's <laughs> right. Awesome. Um, and so you beca- uh, and you've been teaching yoga, mm-hmm. and you've studied in India, and you've studied kind of all over the place. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I studied at a place called KPJAYI in Mysore, India, and I also got a master's in movement studies in London, which is kind of a new, more experimental degree on um, designing movement systems to train performers. Wow. What does that mean? You know, we actually worked a lot with um, some opera performers. Cool. So it's pretty much having people come to you with the with different tasks. You know, just they're wanting to access their body in different ways. And I was trained in figuring out how to do that. Cool. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, a little random. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So am I. Yes. That's <laughs> random, though, in the world that we live in now. Yeah, it was. Yeah, a more integral part of our lives, whatever we do. Mm -hmm. It was the first degree um, of that kind in the UK. And what I found really interesting, I actually tried to do some um, experimental work with uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company, working with their voice tutor, because we were trying to find the ways that um, they overlapped. You know, that the body and the voice and accessing them and, and trying to not keep them such a separate training for yeah. the RSC. And um, it really did start to get a little confusing because we couldn't really tell where our end work, like where my work ended and, and theirs would begin, you know, because it... Because the voice would just sort of take over or the body would take over or... Because you, they, it's not really separate, yeah. You know, like yeah. they're very much one thing. So, yeah. so we work together really well, but it ultimately, I think they still try and do that. But um, ultimately I graduated and left and cool, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. So the reason why we're having Sarah on the um, Operation Opera podcast and of the Transparent Singer is because one, Sarah's awesome, but two, because we were having a conversation the other day, actually all of us were, and uh, we were talking about lessons when you're training in something, you know, that you want to be um, proficient in, and what does it take to actually train to be proficient? And somebody said they wanted to have a yoga class once a week, and Sarah, your response? No, I will not teach people once a week. <laughs> um, it's, I feel like it's. Um, a little frustrating. I've I've tried it before. Um, in New York, you know, you just have to pay the bills, and I would teach in gyms and have, like, drop-in classes where people would come maybe twice a month, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think, um, I think on one hand, I kind of feel like anything that you choose to do to move your body and connect with yourself is good. Yeah. But I'm interested in teaching people who really want to delve into and explore, I guess, like the depths of the practice. And you just can't do that once a week. Yeah. Elisa, what has your experience been in this regard? Yeah, I think, well, and I think another thing that um, I remember from when we were having this conversation and uh, from what I remember, I think Sarah was on her way out the door after we had been hanging out, and then she was. So we didn't get into it very, very in depth. But um, I remember just sort of talking about how when you have, when you develop a rapport with your students, and you and you build a foundation with them, then it's sort of like it it opens up further opportunities within the practice to be able to explore things. Whereas when you see someone infrequently then you're sort of always 
trying to continue to build this foundation in a very chunky, disjointed way, and you're never able to rise above the foundation. You're always sort of stuck at that level. Whereas, you know, once you once you've once you've begun teaching certain principles and and see that the student is getting them, and and then then you can begin to build upon that. But it, when you don't see them often enough, then it's really difficult to progress. I think another thing that I've noticed that this is making me think of is that I spend so much time looking at people's bodies and often they put limitations on themselves. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I look at people's bodies all the time. Um, Spandex, just stretchy, bums in the air. But um, they they put so many limitations on themselves that I can see are not there physically. Like it's very much like an emotional block or uh, like a mental block, but I can't go up to someone who I see once a week or who I've met twice and be like, hey, do this crazy thing that I know you can do. Like, they don't trust me. And I also, in a way, don't trust them to do it without hurting themselves, without, like, being afraid. Could you could you please put yourself into a pencil? I know. Let's stick your lip behind you know, your head. This is, no this is what you need. Just, just <laughs> yeah. you know, just try it. Yeah. <laughs> but then you see someone every day, and they see you every day, and all of a sudden, you know... They're doing amazing things that they had no idea, but that you could always see yes. was possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point because it's not just about the principles. It's about that rapport and the trust mm-hmm. that is built when you see someone more often. And, and, yeah, you sort of get a feeling for them. You get a feeling for each other mm-hmm. and what, what each other's boundaries are. And, yeah, it's just it's about personalizing mm-hmm. Um the, the teaching and, and it gets it you have to get to know the student in order to know how to personalize for them and when you see them infrequently you don't really get to know them either right um I don't know if, did, have I talked about this have I talked about that lesson uh with with our current teacher Elisa I don't know if I've talked about this if I have forgive me but it fits perfectly so I'd been working with with my teacher for a few weeks and she's extremely physical mm-hmm. she's Russian and that's like I guess that's sort of a thing, yeah. right? So she she came up to me and she said, Today I'm going to put my hands in your mouth. <laughs> and I said, uh, she says, Before you not let me, but today you let me. Mm-hmm. And it was that thing. It was this idea that, like, you know, I was not I was not physically or emotionally ready for her to come. You know, I mean, it's like the dentist, you know? Mm-hmm. Nobody's like, open your mouth. No, thanks. You know, and I, it was... And it was a really interesting moment because she showed me, she took her fingers, she took her finger and her thumb, her first finger and her thumb, and she put it in the really back part of my mouth. And she just very gently, but very, but also very, you know, it was gentle, but it was strong. Mm-hmm. And she sort of pinched or, or brought together the back sides of my tongue. And she said, this is your tension. She said, this is where you hold it. And she said, this is why we couldn't see it. Mm -mm. Because Mm -mm. apparently my tongue in the front is very, like, very nice and soft and doing whatever it's supposed to do. But in the back, I was holding tension, especially in the back on the left. And I could always feel that as I would ascend to higher notes. I could feel this, like, this pulling. and, And it was really frustrating. So. Yeah. It's interesting how. um, Yeah, it's just interesting how that. I, my my teacher in India would kind of do many similar things. Like you're supposed to, from standing, drop into a back bend and then grab your ankles with your hands. Right? Standing. So you stand, into, right? And then you look behind you. You touch the ground. You walk your hands and you grab your ankles. Right? Wait a minute, like like you flip yourself backward? No, like you're still standing the whole time, and then you just do a back bend. But you, you walk in and grab your ankles. You mean when right? you say grab your ankles? You don't mean like reach down and tap, touch your toes. You mean, I mean like, like from the you back? Do a back bend. Oh wow! Yeah, and this was like my fear in life. It was like, no, that's not something I need to do. And his big thing is to walk uh, over to you, and and he pretty much just is like, no fear, no fun. And then you know you're going to be on a journey together. Oh wow! You know. But the other thing with him as well is, um, he was a student for about 25 years before he became like the master teacher. Yeah. You know. Um, and I think that's another thing too, is to not, uh, to not limit your time as a student, you know, like teach definitely, but also you yourself have to mind the rule of like, I don't practice once a week. I practice regularly because it's the same for, 
for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I also think that idea of of remaining a student, that's why, you know, when they're like, are you a student? Do you have a student ID? I'm like, well, yes, I'm a student. The ID part I don't really have anymore, but I really, really am a student. Mm -hmm. I'm taking so many lessons (laughs) that I'm working really hard forever. (laughs) I mean, right? Yeah. I think so. But, yeah, the, yeah, that idea of, of, not not forgetting that you must always be learning mm-hmm. in order to keep humble, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because that humility is also part of what I think makes the best kinds of artists. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the other day um, about my yoga practice. I started practicing yoga because I couldn't figure out how to be dedicated to my religion, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, my body isn't present in my religion and I need it to be because this is how I understand things, you know? So I started practicing yoga and I was like, okay, this is a way I connect with myself spiritually every day, you know? And I I understand a lot of things that way. Um, And it made me understand devotion entirely differently because these things that happen, um, when you are a dedicated student, they take so much time. Freaking A. They take so oh. much time. And I think that's a, that's a sutra, and I can't remember which one, but it's always talking about, like, this comes with consistent, dedicated practice over yeah. a long period of time, you know? And I've been, I mean, I've been practicing for, like, 12 years, and I worked, I worked on one pose, because in the kind of pra- yoga I practice, you get a, a pose at a time. And hmm. you don't move past a pose until you've caught, like, the energy of it. So, like, the physical shape maybe be different, but, like, you catch the energy of it. I was caught on a pose one time for, like, three years, and it was wow. super painful, and it was horrible. And, like, a little, um, a little, I always mix up humbling and humiliating, you know what I mean? It was, like, well, humbling. Well, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes they feel the same. <laughs> the same. Yeah. So it was humbling, but it was a little humiliating because I'd be teaching too. And I would teach people who would, you know, I'd be get to this pose and I would have to teach it to them. And they would just like fall into it and just be like, this is it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Which <laughs> pose was it, Sarah? Supta Karmasana. What is that? So it's like turtle pose, right? So you kind of pancake yourself on the floor so your nose is on the ground and your legs cross behind your head, but then your hands cross behind your back. I have very short, chubby limbs, you know, and my hips are and shoulders chubby. are not. Yeah, but like in a lovely way, it's like fine. It. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's just not conducive to my shape. But more important than that, like the shape of my back needed to change, and like my shoulders needed to open. And you really can't rush developing, you know. Like that's right. You just you really can't, um, or else much pain will come, yes, you know. Yes, before I, you're ready. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Elisa, sorry. Yeah, I think, I, w- I was thinking about this too, this idea of, and yeah, I, I know that sutra that you're talking about, Sarah, and it's like the the practice has to be regular. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to revisit, and, and also one element that I'd like to throw in there right now is you have to maintain your curiosity about it. And maybe that's about sort of being this perpetual student. Mm-hmm. It's not that you don't know how to do stuff. You know how to do plenty. Like at this point, Gosh. like when you've been studying for years and years, you know how to do plenty. Mm-hmm. But you maintain this curiosity and this desire to to discover more mm-hmm. and to and to peel back more layers mm-hmm. and to, mm-hmm. to know it more deeply. Um, and... And that's super important. And the only way that you can that you can do that is by being consistent mm-hmm. with your practice and and maintaining that level of curiosity. I sometimes fall into the trap of um, it's not perfect, and when will it ever be? And I get discouraged. Um, but it's because I'm losing that sort of um, I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? The it's sort journey of a, perspective, right? What, what was that? It's the journey, like being able to just go on it. Yeah, which is so. What's so wonderful about our our teacher? Are we not using her name? Is it okay for us to call her? Olga. Sure. Yeah, let's just call her Olga. I mean, <laughs> that is her. Her name is Olga. Yeah. I can't do it with so. a Russian accent though. That's <laughs> I don't know if it really was a Russian accent. It was more like a mishmash of, of something. I don't. Oh, know. but Rachel's good at the Russian accent for sure. Um, <laughs> you so, do the Russian accent. What's so magical about her is that she is absolutely focused on the process Mm -hmm. and not the result. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think 
um, especially in this information age where we have yeah. access, um, and even 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 before when we had CDs or or cassette tapes or whatever, you know, we have access to listen to these world class singers, who you know we're we're listening to them in the prime of their careers. You know, for instance, when I started listening to Mira Lafreni or Kiri Takanoa when I was twelve, death. And, for me and you know yeah. these these beautifully mature lyric sopranos who had this this fullness and this richness and this just warmth to their sound that I idolized and I thought yeah I want to sound like that today mm. you know mm-hmm. I, I'm 12 and I yeah. want I want to be that and so it's sort of like I started trying to imitate them and yeah. you know and I thought hey this is easy you know and it, it wasn't about process at all. It was completely, I was completely obsessed with result. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I'm going back now and, and sort of, yeah, finding the chinks in, mm-hmm. and in the armor and, and repairing them and being the patient mm-hmm. student that I should have been <laughs> before. Well, and, and what's so interesting about that because you use those two examples and I grew up listening to these two sopranos that she's talking about well that's not true I didn't grow up listening to them because I didn't really hear an opera singer until I was probably 16 I didn't really listen to opera I I just always sang with a vibrato and was really loud and Mm -hmm. didn't really know what that meant Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but but um, and then realized, wow, there's schools devoted to this thing. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and but when I did hear these singers that she's just mentioned, I remember thinking, like, oh, I want to sound like that. That's it, actually for me, it was Anamofo was the name of the soprano that I heard. I heard her sing Caronome, which is this gorgeous piece, and her voice is so fluid and so rich without being overbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I was like, if I can sound like that, I want to be an opera singer. Mm. And the thing is, I'm never going to sound like that. <laughs> you I, I am the one to say it. But. I'm <laughs> never, ever going to sound like that, ever. And what's crazy... Until you have a beautiful instrument. But that's it is not nothing it. like animals. <laughs> not at all. Not even a little. Like, like, she has these high pianissimos, like these high little quiet bells that she just kind of like leaves in the air and they just float for the world to appreciate. You know, they're just, it, she just had this amazing, and she drank like a fish. Mm. Like, she, it, it, which is also another thing. It's like, what? You know, I mean, I, yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Different podcast. <laughs> yeah. She was beautiful, beautiful. And beautiful, yeah. Like, she just, it's just someone that, and if anyone ever wants to sort of be introduced to opera or to, to some of the more famous operas, I'll say, watch her Violetta. Mm-hmm. Um, her Violetta, which is from La Traviata, is just, she's just stunning. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about that whole thing. That Okay, so we've been talking about process mm-hmm. and, and also physicality. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to this thing with physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, because something that has come up recent in, recently in my in my lessons with Olga is this idea that I'm finally aligning. Mm. Because every, just like what you were talking about with bodies, you're saying you look at a body and you can see what's not working about it. Like whether, and whether it's emotional or if it's a physical ailment, you can see it. Mm. Um, with this teacher, she takes a look at you, and this is this is not totally uncommon. There are a lot of singing teachers that can do this, where they'll look at the shape of your face, and and they can tell what kind of a singer you are, by the mm-hmm. by by your bone structure, by the way that your body is actually built. Like some um, some singers, you know, have like a stockier, um, like they're more square. Mm-hmm. Like people are kind of square shaped and that helps them in feeling um, their breath lower to the ground and feeling grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a little bonus for them. Like, congrats. You, yeah. know, you don't have to work very hard. It means that you're not really cute, but you can sing amazingly well. <laughs> like, um, but, um, but, and, and thinking about that physicality, like uh, when, 
when I first, when she first, and I don't know when she did this with you, Elisa, but when she first open, you open your mouth and she'll look in and you, you <laughs> make that ah shape that you do every time you go to the doctor, you know, mm-hmm. they always love it when singers come in too. They're like, you guys have the best ahs, <laughs> like I can see everything. <laughs> but, um, and she said, I have a square palette. Mm that my soft palate doesn't completely raise into that oval shape that creates the dome. Like it kind of goes into a, an almost square. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like a, an arch that needs to be, it needs to look like the St. Louis arch. It needs yeah, to yeah, not yeah. just be a bridge. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and getting it to that place has taken me years. So when you say you worked on that one pose for three years, I felt this sigh of relief. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think it's really funny. I'm not sure in singing, but I wouldn't be surprised um, that there, in yoga, there, um, especially in Mysore Ashtanga, it's set up in a way so that uh, it's sequenced, so the poses come in an order that... Um, are kind of meant for you to hit those blocks that you hit for three years because it's not uh, kind of in line with this process. Like it's not about getting in the perfect supta karmasana. It's about dealing with the fact that I was super embarrassed that I couldn't do it, you know, Mm. and I was, um, and dealing with like the pain, like, because your, your head is down and your feet are behind your head and I would get really claustrophobic and scared and people come over to touch you and you can't see them. Uh, because your head is down on the ground, you know, so they come to help you get your hands behind your back and get your feet behind your head. Um, and that was a, a long time for me to learn how to trust people wanting to help me, which mm-hmm. isn't something that I'm good at. Um, but these are all lessons that I feel like I wouldn't have learned if I didn't have that three year process of just having to accept the fact that I could not automatically do this thing. I had to work on it. I needed to get help from people to do it. And I had to deal with the fact that it was scary and it, it really, sometimes it like physically hurt and it was frustrating, you know, like I, and those, those are so important and they're, they're supposed to happen, you know, like they're just supposed to happen because honestly, if I can deal with all of those things, um, either in life or if I can practice them on a yoga mat first, like I'm going to practice them on a yoga mat because then I can, um, you know, I'll be well practiced in accepting help from people when it matters in my life. Like, I'll be able to do that without having the the impulse to, like, hyperventilate and pass out, which was what I felt. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea about, like, where that came from or what that was really about? It's just, it, you mentioned that it was a, a trust, a trust thing. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think... I mean, to get kind of personal, I didn't really grow up in a, in a home where people did what they said they were going to do, you mm. know? Um, often it was the opposite. So to me, it was like, well, if I need to get anything done, I have to do it absolutely by myself. You know, like I have to be able, I can count on myself and like other people are around to laugh with and have like pretty shallow relationships with, frankly, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, and you get super capable that way. I think especially if you're doing it from the time you're really young, you know. So you get to a point where you really don't need help from anyone. And you can't have deep relationships if you can't count on people, you know. Um, so so I think that, like, getting stuck in that pose was super important to me. I'm going to say that's the main reason why. Like, I don't even know how many people, I don't even know half the people who, who helped me in it half the time, but you just have to accept this help from, from strangers who you don't know, but you have to choose to let yourself trust, you know, and especially with your body, because, um, it only takes 12 pounds of pressure to pop someone's collarbone out in that pose, Wow. you know, so you also have to just be like, okay, I'm trusting you. And once you pop a joint, it, it never stabilizes again. Like you can get it back in, but like you don't have the stabilization. So there's a lot of there's like a lot knowing on the line. that. Yeah, right. knowing that going in there, as someone comes up to touch you, you're mm-hmm. like, you better not press down. You better <laughs> no. not have a bowling ball anywhere I around know. you. Like whatever. Like yeah. no twelve. Sorry, that's terrible. Yeah. That well, no, it's so funny too because the more you resist it, the harder it is. So you also have to just be like, and then this is how I, uh, you know, like okay. Um, I there's a lot of recovering addicts who practice and. I adopted their, like, let go and let God, just surrender, you know, and, like, I'd have my mantra, and I'd just, 
I could do the whole practice up to that point and wouldn't break a sweat, wouldn't be tired. And as soon as I hit that pose, it would, I'd just be drenched and it was all emotional. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure singing's like that too. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Elisa, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. This is so interesting because I find that no matter what it is that we're doing as humans, whatever our preference is for practice, whether it's singing, whether it's yoga, whether it's what this I did um, last week, uh, let me see, losing track of time, week before last, um, I did this Equus coaching with horses. And <laughs> this was so revealing to me because even though it has nothing to do with singing, it has everything to do with my singing mm-hmm. because my singing involves me and the Equus coaching also involved me. And it seems like no matter what we do, we, we have the same patterns. And and it has to do with these emotional blocks that we have or um, the state of our ego and how it sort of crops up. I am a person who does not like to make mistakes. That is something that I have grown <laughs> to <laughs> see. And even admitting that I don't like to make mistakes, I feel like is a mistake. And no, so, like, it's I, brilliant. Go I, on. I don't even like that. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so... Um, but that's why this that's why I'm saying this whole the spirit of of curiosity and of regular practice um, and and keeping it light, not making it something you force yourself to do mm-hmm. and then getting down on yourself when it's not perfect. you know it also sort of goes in the same um, in the same direction. it's this it's this more I mean understanding I'm going to practice every day and I'm going to make mistakes, but as I make mistakes, I'm going to get to know my voice better mm-hmm. and then, I'm going to be able to to grow, and I'm going to be able to build on the things that are right. I'm not not everything I do is going to be a, a mistake, mm-hmm. and so sort of accepting the fact that the mistakes will be there, and that that's part of the process. Failure mm-hmm. is actually a, a, a very important part of success, right? Mm-hmm. Because in order to find success, there have to be attempts. There have to be many attempts, and without the willingness to attempt and fail, or in the case of auditions and getting jobs, to audition and be rejected many times over before you get a job. Uh, I mean, occasionally you get lucky um, and you you land a job early on, uh, uh, but most of the time it's these... Kathy Rattle, excuse me, sorry. What was that? (laughs) Oh, no. Do it again. (laughs) I just said Kathleen Battle, like... Uh, right? Like, she, I think she sang at the Met at like 22 or 23. She yeah, was yeah. insanely right. young. Yeah, for the most part, these these contracts are hard won. In my case, I landed a job my first audition in New York. Hmm. And that, you know, um, 11 years ago. And, and that was, you know, <laughs> that was sheer dumb luck. And, and connections, actually. Connections did help me with that one as well. But... Pff, I mean, if I were to tell any singer who was going to do their first audition in New York, um, you know, to advise them anything, I would say, <laughs> you know, go out, give it your best, have fun doing it with no expectations of what they're going to offer you. You know, it, you you just have to do it for yourself. You can't do it for them. You can't please them. So do your thing. Do what you love to do. Show them that you love it and have fun doing it. And that's all. I mean, because for the most part... It takes many auditions before you get hired. It takes it takes that that experience and that willingness to fail and be rejected and make mistakes. I want to go back to something that you mentioned that I really liked, and actually, both of you guys were talking about this. This idea of, I mean, it, I, I still I love this that you were caught on something for three years. I love that. I mean, I mean, I know it's awful, and I know you hated it, but at the same time, like getting through that is an incredible thing and that you stuck with it and that you didn't just say, Oh, forget it. It's never going to come. Mm-hmm. Like you kept going yeah. and Elisa. Something, yeah. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Elisa, something that you, that you're mentioning, uh, which is this idea of, um, of the process of, and, and when you said it has everything to do with your singing, it has mm-hmm. everything to do with you as an artist. And for me, I think how it manifests is this idea that I, 
in in a lesson situation when I'd have when I used to have a lesson once a week with a teacher, it was there so much felt like it was riding on that lesson. Mm. It's like, I have mm-hmm. to perform in this moment. I have to be doing better. I've been practicing, you know, but, but, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, about that in the sense that like, why is this flawed? Like, why, why do we have this system sort of set up where, where it's okay to have a, you know, a piano lesson once a week, or you go to practice once a week, mm-hmm. or you go, you know, like practice yoga once a week or twice a month, you know, like, yay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, and and the voice voice lessons once a week, and why that that doesn't work for I would say most people. Um, and I think when I started working with Olga and realizing, you know, because I I, I had a mentor um, who once told me, you know, Rachel will happen for you when it when it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, what the does that mm-hmm. mean? Like, like <gasps> I don't know what that means. Vague answer on time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> can't you just say someday? Can't you just say someday. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you keep going, someday mm-hmm. this will happen. And 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 coupled with that was you just have to keep working at it. Like it's something that you have to keep doing every day. Mm-hmm. And but the problem for me was I was practicing incorrectly and I knew it Mm. like I knew that as I practice I was like I'm training bad habits yeah I'm like I'm doing this but there's no point to it because I'm going to go there and they're going to say this is still wrong and I'm going to say yeah I know I know I have uh, practiced a lot. Yeah, but I did. I did. I put I my time in. those bad habits yeah, I, like a boss. Exactly. Um, I have two thoughts, and and one of them I think is kind of connected, but it's more just a story I kind of like. Uh, do you guys know Pina Bausch? No. She's a German choreographer, and I mean, absolutely watch some of her stuff sometime. It's super fascinating and really quirky, and she has a lot of repetition. And she was getting interviewed one time, and someone was like... Um, Pino, why are you guys always just repeating things? Like, there's just repetition shows up all the time. What's that all about? And she's like, oh, my dear, it's not repeating. Like, it's a chance to try again, you know? And I thought there was something really lovely in that, like, this kind of idea, this, like, artistic build-in of, like, we're going to try it again, you know? Like, we're not... I think uh, artists suffer from, like, a divine discontent, you know? Like, Mm. we will just never be happy. And that's kind of the beauty of it. So she built in a chance to just give it another shot. Like, okay, we're going to do to that. To look at it differently. Yeah. And I think um, I think then the divine discontent kind of plays into what I'm going to next. I would assume that a lot of people might not catch the... You know what I mean? Might not catch what you were talking about. Like, yeah, I've been practicing all the things I'm doing wrong all week. You know? Like, I think we uh, kind of as a society reward... Um, reward weird things, you know, like rewards in itself are kind of weird. Like, I guess what I'm saying is our, our approach to it is, is strange and, and what we're looking to get out of it can, can hamper us in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, the, this, the, the, you know, practice makes perfect. That adage mm-hmm. is, is so flawed mm-hmm. because it really is perfect. Practice makes perfect. Yeah. Otherwise don't do it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I also, something you said, Rachel, made me want to ask Sarah a question or or request Sarah to discuss a little bit the aspect of performance within yoga oh, and yeah. how the two of them <laughs> go together or rather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very interestingly, I think, so I taught in New York. I taught with uh, at a very busy shala in the Upper West Side, Mysore Ashtanga. And people obviously traveled to New York from all over the world. And we, we found this point where um, about five minutes into their practice, we could tell where they had come from. You know, it could be like, you're from a teacher in Miami. You're from a teacher in, uh, in Greece. Like, oh, you obviously practice with this. And I think it is because people put their own little flair on things and people have their own interpretation of it. You know, like, and it's always very subtle, but it's in... It's like the breath should be like this, or this pose is about this, you know? And that obviously turns into something emotional for people. I don't think you can disconnect breathing from emotions, you know? Like, that's, as soon as you're talking to someone about their breath, you're talking to them about their life, you know? And um, and so in that way, I think yoga becomes a performance 
almost of what you're like exercising out of your body, you know, like what's this lived experience I'm having. That's another thing that, that you're doing in yoga, right? You're like burning off impurities in a way, and they have to come through your body. And sometimes they're really lovely things too. Like, um, Hey, you know, like myofascial release. Yeah. Yeah. So that in my experience releases emotions. Yeah. And that can definitely release lots of times for people, um, because they hold back sadness so often. It's just all of a sudden this like onslaught of tears. And I've had that one too. And it's shocking because you're like, I feel fine. Like there's, I can't attach this to anything, but obviously something's been hit in my body and I need to cry, you know? Yeah. Um, I had that actually. I was, I was doing, uh, doing some Pilates with my cousin, who's this brilliant Pilates teacher. And she was having me do some, some muscle, like self massage or rolling out or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it with, with a tennis ball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just was lying down on my side and put it just in my, in my hip kind of, um, you know, between the bony parts in that, mm-hmm. in that muscular area yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the side. That's a big and, one. Um, and it, yeah, it just released tears. Yeah. It was the strangest thing because, you know, it was almost like, it was almost like it's a part of my body that remains vigilant, hyper vigilant. Like it's always sort of there, like stabilizing and, mm-hmm. and doing its thing and it's always on. And, and in this moment of, of giving it a little pressure and, mm-hmm. and using gravity to relax into it, it was like, thank you. Like I can take a little break now. And it was just mm-hmm. like this, it was a feeling of gratitude and, mm-hmm. and of nurturing and of, I don't know, it was, <laughs> it was all of those things. But for me, it just came out as, as tears. And it was like, my cousin was like, yeah, just, yeah, feel that, let it out. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this little tennis ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your body. Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> feel Aww. the feelings. I hate um, that moment. I, I know. Loved sorry. It. I thought it was so lovely. It was. He needed to go. It was. It was. It was done. Oh. He did. He played his role. He did his part. You gotta let go. It's. It's. We're talking about letting go, releasing. <laughs> you, know? you can't receive. If you it was I think you and I talked about that before, Lisa. Like you can't receive unless you, you That's are willing to let go. And I think that can also come, to tie it back into like yoga and a consistent practice. Um, because when you confront these things, like my view, my, my view of myself, I had to let go of things I thought about myself when I was in this like three year process, you know, because I'd always been really athletic. I won most athletic in the fifth grade. So Ooh, yeah, that's grade. right. Um, you know, I'd always been very capable. I'd always been very, um, I think I probably won the, the opposite. I was like last person picked on every sports team. Least wanted for sports. Yes. Yeah. Win. Yeah. Someone's got to win. That's right. Someone's got to win. Someone's got to win the loser. Yeah. That's right. Sorry, go on. I like it. Well, no, I mean, I guess it's just this idea of like, um, sometimes you have to let go of, of these attachments you have to yourself in order to become what you can be or just to just be. You know what I mean? Like, just let go of your attachments and just be, because that's kind of a place of possibility, you know? But I don't think you find that unless you're working on it every day. Like, that's a lot, you know? Yeah, because it's such a delicate balance. Yeah. Like, finding that place is is both um, strong and also weak, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, you, you have to come to it you know, with both, um, an expectation, but also with humility, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, actually. And when I asked that question earlier, I, I, um, I think I had something in mind that I thought for sure you would talk about. I know uh-huh. that's terrible. You're not ever supposed to ask a question <laughs> with an answer in mind. Leading question. I know, yes. right? <laughs> I feel like I failed. I don't, I don't. Tell no. me. <laughs> not at She all, was present. But... She was living in the moment. <laughs> I, I know you'll relate to this. No, what you said was brilliant. And it was something I hadn't thought of, so I'm glad that you did. Um, but I had this, I had this idea about, um, and this is something that many of the yoga teachers I've had over the years have said is to be with yourself in your practice, mm-hmm. and and sort sort of like we perform to impress others. I mean, yeah. I think that's the main the main reason, and we can have good intentions with that, you mm-hmm. know, to want to uplift others or to want to. Um, give others a new point of view or, mm-hmm. or kind of 
yeah, to elevate in some way or inspire or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Um, but in the, in, in yoga, um, it has to be a very personal time, right? Mm-hmm. And and this is interesting, the pose that you were stuck on, that it actually required other people to get you into it. Mm-hmm. Um but in, and in that case, like when you when you don't feel like you're able, well, I don't know. I just there was a strong element, particularly when I was practicing in New York, um, which is where I've done most of my practice. But actually, the other places too, um, of people just just a little little bit of showing off going yeah, on, just like sure. a little bit of, um, and not with everybody, obviously. But um, but that is just an element that that my teachers discussed was just sort of be with yourself, mm-hmm. recognize your edge, you know, like mm-hmm. connect with yourself and what your body is able to do and, and finding that edge, pushing yourself a little bit farther, but don't make it about like, oh, the person next to me is doing mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. I want to also do that, you know, yeah. independent of how flexible you are, how strong you are in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that kind of, that question then depends on, on your, um, your definition of performance, because in my training, I'd always been taught that performance is stripping away the extraneous until you're at the root of who you are, like until you touch that heart space, you know? Um, Yeah. So wait, talk about that more. That's so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I haven't thought about this too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Well, I think I told you about this. I I used to spend time in um, Poland and Italy working with these groups that were taught by a man called Jerzy Grotowski. And, yes, and I was hoping you would talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some of the most beautiful things I've ever done, but a lot of what they would do is, um, there. So a lot of a lot of acting will will talk about they want you to put on a character like it's a costume, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of like you're finding all the layers of the this outside character. In yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like built. You're like putting an onion on, you know, yes. for. Um, but what Grotowski, he had this this book he called uh, Towards a Poor Theater, and he talked about it like it was very much a sacrificial act to perform for people because yes. you're like laying your heart out there. You're you're like this is me. Like, Here it this is. is all me. You know. Squish it. Yeah, but you can't do it's that you. until you have access to your heart. You know, and I think um, we we build walls around it because it gets hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it gets really hurt. So yeah. He, so how do you gain access to your heart? You know what he would do? He had two different, and this this was um, something you guys would like. Uh, he had two very distinct ways in. As I as I am going to explain it now, there's a, there's a lot of depths to the work. One of them was through um, physical precision and physical exhaustion. You know, so um, Hmm. one time, uh, like, there's this one exercise you do, and you work as a group, and you all have to do these very specific, it's about a half hour long choreographed movement, and you all have to do it at the exact same time. And there are points where you have to do the same movement at the exact same time without being able to see each other. Yes. You know? Yes, I've done this. This is physical theater. This is is fantastic And it's, it's huge because you learn... That you connect with other people by not building walls, you know, like you, you can't feel other people and other people can't feel you if you're hiding from them, you know? That's right. Um, the other thing is if you're exhausted, like it takes a lot of energy to hide. Like it takes a lot of energy to not be yourself. Um, and also I think there's something that comes out in you where, um, you need help, you know, like, uh, so... One time, one time we ran this exercise where there were about 10 of us and um, it was one choreographed movement from uh, like capoeira, but it mm. was really hard and we wound up doing it for about an hour until they were like, okay, if you mess up, like you're done, like you're out, like you, you leave, you know, until like we slowly messed up one by one. And it wasn't like you left the room. It was like, you leave the exercise, you know? And then, um, and then it's this thing where you're so exhausted, but you have to keep the exercise going and you get all this energy from everyone else. And then you don't, you're, (laughs) there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. It's all just about this like one moment, you know, and, and being in that. Um, the other thing he would do, then there's so much that goes in on that, but so it's like through physical precision and physical exhaustion. The other one is through song, but through, yeah, through, um, cultural songs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Folk Mm -hmm. sorts of songs. Songs, songs that are, that are 
that are your heart songs, your country yeah. songs, your, your yeah, these they are do things this that come from beautiful. I think you guys you. should. I would love for you to watch it and tell me what you think. But it's um, I think it's called like uh, Chronicles, a lamentation, and I think they took Macedonian um, grieving songs, mm. like wailing songs, mm. and they oh, it's so painful. And then they built it into a performance, and I mean, I think it just like swept the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh and like won everything. Hmm. And, and it's one of the most moving things I've ever seen. But it's um, it's all because uh, he believes that you you find the roots of who you are through cultural songs. And I think that the thing that's lovely about that, I think of this when we sing hymns sometimes. I was really close with my grandparents, and they passed away. And I like to think sometimes, like, I'm singing things that my grandma sang, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, I'm singing songs oh. that my grandpa sang. Mm-hmm. And I and that's that's another way through that space to you because then you want to be connected to people like you don't want to hide from people because you know you're connecting to yourself through a line of your your people you know definitely yeah the um I mean there's a reason right that the the aural and the the spoken and sung uh it began you know before any written language Mm -hmm. and that has remained with us you know through centuries and it's kind of incredible that's beautiful I yeah uh, that's really beautiful I am I, um, I was gonna the only little tiny thing that made me think of as we were talking about these 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 two ideas like bringing up the outside in work or inside out um that I've sort of talked about in, in different theater classes that I've had but one of my favorite sayings is um you have to be private in public Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of a very easy way to think about the beautiful description that you just described of what that actually means. You know, it's finding your heart, mm-hmm. find your heart song. I love that. You know, what is what is the piece of music that is you? What is that? And maybe it's different depending on on what you need. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's different. Like when you said, you know, in a way, it's it's a way that you can. Is there a song that you connect to a certain person? with in some way who's either past or mm-hmm. or you know or whatever yeah that's mm. yeah it's fascinating or gets you into a certain headspace or helps you to uh to be more authentically mm-hmm. you or if you're playing an authentic character you know mm-hmm. how do you how do you find that person i think it also um creates vibrations and frequencies mm-hmm. that are unseen but are felt by everyone I think you certainly feel that in this physical theater that you're talking Mm -hmm. about, like when you have to move a certain way and you all have to be relying on what you are feeling from each Mm -hmm. other because you cannot see each other. Mm -hmm. It's incredible work and it's so unifying and it's, it's sort of what I imagine it would be like to go through a difficult or any kind of emotion. It's, it's anytime you've gone through an experience, it's like the end of the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can all come back to the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) When when Frodo and Sam and Merry and Pippin are sitting at the table, you know, and they're all having having some of their, their brew or I can't remember what it's called. And they're looking okay. around, you know, how do you how do you put together the shards, you know, of a life? You know, how do you how do you after you've gone through so much, how do you come back to what what was when mm-hmm. what you are is different? Yeah. And anytime we have a shared experience, I feel like that's that's yeah. sort of what happens. How do you return from that? Yeah, I, I, I hope that's what um, spectators feel, too. Totally. You know? um, I remember watching this this company I talked about perform, this piece I mentioned, uh, Chronicles, and it's about 40, it's short, it's about 40 minutes long, um, but they'd finish, and it's like those vibrations are felt between them, but it's so safe, and they're so well-practiced, because they, they rehearse together, you know, like 10 hours a day. And they work on this piece for like seven years, wow. you know, so they can control this wow. energy like, uh, like they're, it's, it's like yeah. another character, yeah. you know, it's like a tool for them on wow. stage and you like cast this net over an audience and they're part of that, you know, and they're part of that vibration and that frequency. Um, so they, they come away changed. And I think that's, that's catharsis. You know, like that's true theater. Yeah, it's that's hard. what it should be. That's really hard. that's the other thing that I was going to talk about with that's this what it can be. because it all comes down, I think, uh, to money. You know, because hmm. um, part of what I did not understand until I started teaching at a Mysore Ashtanga studio in New York is that um, 
It's very expensive for the students, but the teachers don't make enough money, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that because I'd always only been a student and I'd always only been like, okay, I'm scraping together all my money. Like I'm paying, I think in New York, the tuition for one month is like $220, mm. you know, but you're supposed to practice six days a week. So it works out to being like $8 of practice, you know, which is actually pretty affordable, except you're yeah. doing it every day. Like you're doing it six days a week for the whole month. Um, but then as a teacher, Students are only paying, you know, five to eight dollars a class, which like that's not going to add up to the same as as some places who will have, um, you know, some places who are really, really welcoming of this one, like drop in, do whatever you want. Most my strongest places will not take students who are just going to come once a week. Like the minimum is three times a week. Drop ins you can only do if you already have a practice. You already have like a developed practice. Like you, you just are not able to come in and do it. I feel like this should be the case with voice lessons. I feel like this should just be across the board, you know, what is expected if you want to be a master at this, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to really train. Yeah, well, and you can't, you just, you really can't get anywhere with people. We'd even have people who would come you know, three times a week and they get a lot of progress and then work gets really hard and they don't come for six months and they come back and they they honestly can't understand why they need to start over again. You're just like, well, I mean, Mm. you're, (laughs) you didn't do it for like all the, the fascia came back, you know, I mean, the fascia got, got hard again, you know, like everything that was soft and slippery and everything that was starting to open closed again. So we just have to, we have to do it all again and it's okay. You know, like I'll do it all again, but a lot of people, especially in, yeah, I think they might think of physical therapy that way, but they, they might. And I think maybe this is another thing too. We often compare and measure ourselves, you know, but it's like, well, last week I was touching my, oh, here's, I'm not finishing thoughts. Um, it's like last week I was touching my toes and, and now I can't, you know, I can't touch my knees. Um, so something that'll happen in a Mysore Ashtanga practice is, uh, you do a lot of like forward folding, you do a lot of twisting and then, and then you get really good at that. You know, like you can get into really deep twists. You can forward fold really, really deep. And then as you move into intermediate, you start back bending a lot, you know, and you start dropping back what I was mentioning before and your legs get really big and your shoulders get really big. And then all of a sudden you can't do supta kermasana anymore, which you worked on for three years, you know, and you're just Uh. like, what has happened? So it's always challenging you to not get attached, you know, and always letting like change be okay. You know, because once you've gone through that three year journey, if you can't do it again because you're further along, it's like, well, it's okay. Like, it'll come back, whatever. But um, but there's still that frustration of being like, who am I? I was a person who could do Supta Kramasana and now I'm not. Who am I? And, uh, (laughs) you know, and then it takes you another year to be like, that's silly. (laughs) Hmm. I'm just me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So much good stuff. I want to say something about... um, about this, the question I asked about connection that you answered so beautifully, Sarah, um, because connection is, is sort of why Rachel and I started this blog, The Transparent Singer, mm-hmm. and then extended into Operation Opera, this podcast. It's about being transparent as an artist and, and yeah, making, making yourself vulnerable um, and sort of cutting through a lot of the other the otherness, the other stuff that's going on mm-hmm. and, and sort of overcoming the other things that, uh, the ego and the, um, the competition and the snobbery and all these other things that sort of enter in the, this, the quest for status and, and all these things. And, um, and really letting, letting the music be, a vehicle for connection above mm-hmm. all else. And it's interesting because some of the things you were describing too, Sarah, about the, um, this, I don't even know what you would call it, a workshop. Mm-hmm. What did you, the, in Italy? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, sorry, a thought just left me. <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> it sounded so cool though, this stuff in Italy. Oh yeah. This is what it was. So I was going to tie it back into my Equus coaching, actually, mm-hmm. which I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. So um, horses, horse, 
with yeah. yeah the exactly working with horses and um we had to do some exercises where well we were alone with the horses first and then we did some exercises where we had a team we started with just a partnership and it was crazy um we were in a, a big like um corral or mm-hmm. a ring a large um pen with a, a horse and there were obstacles and we had to decide as as partners which obstacles we wanted to take the horse through mm-hmm. and and then do it and all of that without speaking to each other so we didn't have to have eyes closed or anything but but we couldn't use words and mm-hmm. so everything had to just be eye contact head nods gestures etc and i felt when I dropped into a certain connection with my partner, when I knew it would work and we sort of clicked Mm -hmm. and it was like we, the energy between us was very, very united and very connected. Yeah. And so I felt, I felt connected with myself. Mm -hmm. I felt freedom within myself, but I also felt a ton of trust with this person that I barely knew. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, I had met her that morning you know, maybe an hour before or or something. And, um, the thing that I realized later, um, and this sort of ties into, I think the dark side of opera that I was mentioning before the ego, the quest for status, the competition, Mm -hmm. the snobbery, um, (laughs) is what I realized was, um, in that situation with that particular woman that day, I did not feel like it would be possible to disappoint her. Mm. And for me, that was the pinnacle of collaboration and of, of openness. So like, uh, and part of this is my obsession with not making mistakes, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it all goes back to me cause it's me, I, it's me mm-hmm. living. And so whatever I do, it's going to be the things that pertain to me that I do over and over in whatever scenario I'm in. So, um, but in this, in this case, I didn't feel like I could make a mistake. Mm-hmm. I felt like whatever I did would be okay. And there would be no judgment. There would be no repercussions. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt really safe yeah. in that situation with her. And as a result, we were, it was like mind control. It was like we were acting as one body and this horse was doing everything that mm-hmm. we wanted to do with our minimal skills as, as, as horsewomen. Um, but be, just because of that connection that existed between us. And it really was something magical for me and something that I determined afterward to try to recreate as often as possible mm-hmm. in my life in, you know, in other scenarios. Yeah, it's, there's something really unique and beautiful and incredible about being able to be with someone that you know, um, isn't judging, Mm -hmm. completely accepts you, and, you know, uh, gives you that kind of safety. Mm -hmm. So so not an audition situation then, Rachel, (laughs) or what? You know what, this side. Oh, baby, that's another topic. That's yeah. another conversation for another day. What you're talking about reminds me of this uh, this Boutel exercise I had to do one time. That, uh, again, it was in a situation with strangers, um, which is so funny because sometimes I, I think it might actually be easier to connect with strangers. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, why do you think away? people have one-night stands? <laughs> well... I mean, sorry, but the, oh, that's another thing. That's another, another thing, topic. and it's also something I actually know nothing about. Yeah, I don't. Like, I, 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 I actually don't but know anything about. Another topic for other people. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, but this, this Butoh exercise they had us do—it was this massive room, uh, kind of like a, a hallway. And there were just a few of us. And at first, I really thought, you guys, this was just going to be so corny. Because they were like, yeah, you stand on one end and, and your partner, the stranger, is going to stand on the opposite end. And um, you'll have a slow walk towards each other. But you have to look each other in the eyes the entire time. Mm-hmm. And each walk represents like a year. And then, and then you know, the, the time passes and then it passes faster. So like a decade. So you... They set it up so that you pretty much experience your entire lifetime walking towards this person. Yeah. You know, and it's slow. It takes like an hour. Yeah. And it's it's amazing because this connection I think we're talking about it's very visceral when you give space for it. Like I think it's it's physics. Like your atoms, your breath is hitting each other in some way. Like you're experiencing the room. Like something is actually happening between you. And then mm. you meet in the middle. And by the time you meet in the middle, like it's super emotional because. Absolutely. 
you've spent um, your whole life, like figuratively, walking towards this person, and then they're like, yeah, and now you you meet the your soulmate, like the person you're supposed to be with, and mm-hmm. and this is it, this is the end. You have one moment together, and then it's there's you know it's it's death after that. Um, and I remember them explaining it and just being like, all right, like this will, but by the end of it, like I was just a wreck because this person, I felt like they had experienced me experiencing and reliving like my entire life. And they were right there with you. You know, it's that investment. I think you were talking about to just trust each other immediately, you know, Mm -hmm. and commit to the experience, um, and give over to it fully. Because I think both of these things, like both with the Equus coaching and this this one experience, um, if you are not vulnerable, if you don't surrender to it, it's not the same. Like, it's not going to happen. You're just walking towards, you're taking a really long time to walk down a hallway, you know? That's right. Um, so I think you have to really mm-hmm. want it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that I actually really struggle with because I immediately go to the clown. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really good at getting out of awkward situations because which happens to me a lot. I get into really awkward situations quite often, but I'm really good at like getting out of these awkward situations because I can just say some random thing that will make someone laugh or make mm-hmm. other people feel uncomfortable or like cut tension. Yeah. Like mm. I used to say this, like in, when, you know, before I was married, obviously like, you know, when I'd be dating or whatever. And like, if, if I didn't want to be with someone, I, it was very easy for me or like the art of the dodge to get mm-hmm. out of having to kiss someone. Like I was really good at it. And partly it's because I have a really large chin, mm. but like, okay. you know, like there's, but like, there's curious. No, I didn't actually like chin people. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, um, but like that's that's sort of my thing. Like instead of being vulnerable, like I choose humor. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the way that I and I think it's because of my family. Like mm-hmm. we, I grew up with a bunch of boys where emotion is not really something that that you do. Mm-hmm. Like youngbergs are strong. Mm. We're strong people, and we are. We're all really pretty funny. Like mm-hmm. my brothers are hilarious, but we're not we're not touchy feely people. Mm-hmm. And we're extremely private. Yeah. And so getting into those spaces for me and like allowing myself, like I just don't do it. Yeah. Like it's so freaking hard for me. Well, you know what's so funny is we're talking about this um, and just again in like the Except on stage. Framework. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm <laughs> no. sorry. I just had to say that. Except on stage. No, like on I stage, just... I feel like that's where it happens. Because we're uh, like in this Bouteau framework, if you're saying it's the measure of your entire life, trust me, people were laughing. You know, like you have shared moments that are just funny for no explicable reason. Oh, sure, sure. But it's not, it's not to get away from anything. Yes. You know, like it's not to avoid anything. No, it's that you've experienced something in this moment. Mm -hmm. Like you both are currently in this state where like we've been walking for 20 minutes and this is funny. And so we will laugh together because Mm -hmm. we're sharing this moment. Or it's even just like we've hit this period because you, you measure it out and you start to, I I highly suggest doing this. If you guys are ever like teaching a workshop or in a a space where you do this, it does become, because imagination is very important. I'd assume it's important in singing too. Like this is also like building your imagination, right? You know, you've got to have a very rich inner life in order to have anything interesting from the outside. And I think it's, it's made to start from like birth to death, right? Because it is a little uncomfortable at first. But you get into the space where you're like, well, I'm five steps in. I'm like a five-year-old, you know? And, like, if you let yourself try and channel that and try and feel that and try and feel that, like, five-year-old curiosity and five-year-old body, you're going to really naturally find things that are funny, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the yeah. same time, that flips on a dime, you know? And then in, like, 15 steps, you it's could like be crying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's that's really important. I think humor is beautiful. It can connect too sure. if it's not being used to avoid things. To deflect. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love laughing. Yeah. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. I am. I'm a big fan of laughing. It's very happy. Oh man, I feel like we could go on and on, but I think that we actually do need to wrap it up. Okay. This is... Wait, I want to say one more thing All right, about laughing before more thing. You do it. it you okay. do it. Because Sarah lived in India, and I want to know if you've heard of this guy who started laughter clubs. Mm -hmm. Wait, what? Do you know what I'm talking about? Laughter clubs or laughing yoga? Um, no, laughter clubs. But I mean, maybe it's maybe it's um, it's laughing yoga, right? Related to laughing yoga, I don't know. I've heard of laughing yoga. I haven't heard of laughing clubs. 
But I like yeah. them, I think. I don't know. They also could be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was reading about it. I was actually reading this book called um, A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool uh, book about how right-brainers oh, will wow, rule the future. Creepy. And, of course, right-brainers are artists. And anyway, it talks about this guy who started this laughter club. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they have all kinds of... I wrote down, I wrote, I took notes on it actually because I was like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to start a laughter club. But it, it was a little bit weird and creepy, but you know, of course, because I'm <laughs> yeah. a, a, an American and a New Yorker and I like my personal space and, you know, like people <laughs> getting all up in my, and laughing in my face. I don't know. It's just oh, kind of weird. But at the same time, yeah, laughter's great. Laughter's super healing. It's, it, uh, it sparks our, our rest and digest our parasympathetic mm-hmm. yeah. nervous system, right? Yeah. Yes. I think the one thing I'm trying lately is to not like value one emotion higher than another. You yeah. Know? And yeah. not to be like, I need to be happy all the time. I need to be okay. It's like, no, sometimes, you know. Well, like, sometimes, they're all good. sometimes sad is necessary mm-hmm. and it's okay. And yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's just important to, you know, to be honest about, about, you know, where those emotions are. Yeah. And if, you know, if you are too far, you know, in, in a place of sadness, then, mm-hmm. then that's something else, yeah. you know, like depression's real. It's the oh, way the gosh. brain feels pain. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, being sad, being angry, mm-hmm. being, you know, upset, all of being these excited. things, are, excited. Right. these are all important things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, putting on a, a smiley face all the time is definitely not, that's not yeah. it. Let's that start a feelings it. club, you guys. Feelings. <laughs> that makes me think of me. I have a like... lot of feelings. I just have a lot of feelings. I don't go she to school. She doesn't go here. <laughs> I just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> yeah, that we should end on that note, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of feelings. Oh, my gosh. Let's feel our feelings. Yeah. Sarah, this was awesome. Guys, I loved it. Really. Cool. Thank you for, for talking with us and sharing all of these thoughts about yoga oh, and, man. Thanks for having and me. physical theater. Yeah, and thanks, wow. Sarah. This is yeah. awesome. Thank you for being you and being awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, takes one to know one, you guys. Oh, it's so many feelings. We're such girls. I love it. Yeah. All right.